Welcome to the Autism and Neurodiversity Podcast. We're here to bring you helpful information from leading experts and give you effective tools and support. I'm Jason Grigla, a licensed counselor and founder of Techie for Life, a specialized mentoring program for neurodiverse young adults. And I'm Debbie Grigla, a certified life coach. And maybe most importantly, we're also parents to our own atypical young adults. Hello, champions of neurodiversity, those who are neurodiverse and those who are in the support crews. Welcome to the Neurodiversity and Autism Podcast. This is Jason Grigla, and I'm excited to talk today about something that happens way more often than it should, probably 70 to 80% of the time when we get calls for help. There is a young adult that is told or that we are told is addicted to something. And 80% of the time when they talk about addiction, it's video game or screen use in general. And so it's such a big deal to parents that I would like to cover a lot about what we've learned, what we understand and what we're seeing about it and some of the perspectives that we want to share that are helpful. So why do neurodiverse young adults or even teens or even children maybe, um, why are they so susceptible to addiction to screen use? And it goes back to some of the common traits that come with neurodiversity. Oftentimes there's lack of insight, immaturity, uh, there's more likelihood of internal angst, anxiety, some traumas, abuses, neglects, or deprivations. Those things tend to make neurodiverse brains more susceptible to using immediate, controllable, external, intense coping mechanisms. And that's exactly what addiction is. And the other side of that is, or in addition to um, connected with addiction or obsessive compulsive behaviors, is that our students desperately need to get their social and emotional needs met. And even if they aren't looking to fill some unmet problem as far as dealing with anxiety, maybe they're just lonely and they're willing to fit in. To, and to fit in, all you have to do um, to fit in to the drug users outside of screen use is to do what they do. And so it's easy and it's simple. And those are the two main reasons why our students end up dependent on chemicals or screen use. So let me back up and, and generalize for a second. We all want to be happy. And all addictions are really poor, ineffective attempts to feel good. But we all want to feel good. And the problem is addictions are ultimately destructive because there's always what we call the law of diminishing returns. The more you use it, the less you get back. And ultimately, it's ineffective. And so it can't be used long term and it becomes unsustainable. However, with a neurodiverse brain, especially those who are um, diagnosed with autism to some degree, their ability to have special interests and rigid interests and laser focused interests that seem to be forever and ever makes it so that the same video game can be fun for years and years, even though many of you remember the Atari 2600 with Space Invaders 
And once you flipped Space Invaders, which meant you cleared every level and got all the points, after you did that a couple times, it just lost its interest. And the problem is video games today are way more interesting and addictive, but especially for those who can have the same interests over and over and over and have those interests continue to give the neurodiverse brain what it wants. And for neurodiverse brains, it's not just about something that's intense and interesting. It's also, it also seems to be that, that their brain values and loves to have familiarity, consistency, stability, and they like the knowns and they rarely go after the unknowns. So there's two types of addiction uh, that I want to talk about. One is chemical addictions, and the other is process addictions. And process addictions are also chemical in the sense that they're natural chemicals. And the two examples would be um, alcohol to change the mood of the brain and, and actually have an external immediate effect, whereas a process addiction like gambling or video gaming, it induces natural chemicals that we become dependent on almost as much as we would um, normal feel-good things. And so even though they're both chemically based, one is a choice of an action that you make, the things that you're doing, and the other is a chemical addiction. Now, video game addictions are are very much um, like eating or food addiction. And the problem is you're never going to get away from video, video games or screens, at least. And so there's always going to be a screen around. And so if you take a sobriety approach to gaming or screen use, I've found that more often than not, we don't prepare them for what comes after treatment. Um, there's some great programs that offer sobriety with neurodiverse young adults, especially they need to practice things that they're going to have to do. And it's not fair to just say, don't ever use a screen again. It's just not feasible. It's not realistic. And life is just too full of screens to make that happen. But with alcohol or pot or other chemical drugs, we can absolutely take a sobriety approach to those things. The other issue with addiction in the neurodiverse brain is there's such an impulsive, obsessive, compulsive, perseverative aspect to those brains. And the brains tend to be hardwired in very specific directions and deeply um, ingrained or entrenched, um, like, like a record that has the grooves in it to make music. There's also the very real possibility that a scratch in that record makes the record needle go in a different direction. And once, once that happens, it's pretty hard to change habits. And for anyone to change a habit, it takes a lot of work, a lot of intentional hard work. It's like taking a river and changing its course or direction after it's been flowing down the same path for years and years and years. So it's really hard. There's um, actually some anecdotal evidence coming out from my own experience, but also in talking with other professionals, that many of 
of the students, young adults that we see that are neurodiverse, who have been labeled or identified as someone with an obsessive compulsive or addictive behavior, whether it's chemical or or process addiction, there seems to be a large percentage or proportion of those that can just walk away. And it's kind of like the upside or the plus side to a brain that just is very matter of fact and black and white. And when it comes time to say, well, I don't want to do it anymore. I guess I won't. There's something about it that they can just walk away. Now, their bodies might be very much dependent. And I think I'm talking about addiction in general for a second again. Everybody who uses an addictive substance like heroin becomes dependent. There were a lot of soldiers in the Vietnam War that that were using heroin and it was known. And so the government set up a lot of programs for returning soldiers and vets to get help for their addiction to heroin. And what happened is when they all returned home, nothing happened. There wasn't these massive numbers or groups of returned soldiers who needed help with their addictive um, addictive behaviors or their addiction. And what they've found research-wise is that only about 30% of the population has what we consider the addiction or the, the personality addiction or the addictive personality, I should say. And so even if you become chemically dependent, that doesn't mean you won't be able to walk away with from it when you're done. You will still have withdrawals and the same problems and symptoms that someone who's addicted is stopping with, but your desire to keep using the chemical or process drug um, is is only in about 30% of the population. So that's interesting right there. And when it becomes an obsessive compulsive behavior, that's more mental health than it is addictive. And if they are addicted because they like the pattern, then it's not the same as an addiction because they have an addictive personality. Um, Everyone who uses something that they can control to feel good to feel love, to feel okay, to escape um, a world where they don't feel like they belong, someone who needs to escape stress, and um, especially in the in the case of video games, they love what they can do, they love what they're capable of, and they can move at their own speed, they can make mistakes and start over, they can hide from inadequacies and fears, they can become the masters of their domain and even thrive. And so what they can do in video games becomes a highly attractive, controllable escape from hard things in life. And I'll tell you, when when we watch students trying to cut back on their screen use because they want to, the only way I've seen that work and be successful is when they can actually replace what they actually need. They replace the video games with what they actually need. And so the hard the hard thing about screen addiction in in whatever form it is, and we've had Reddit, obsessive compulsive behaviors. Um, We've had social media. We've had video games. um, We've had YouTubing, um, watching, watching gamers or YouTubers is for sure a common scenario. The thing is, it's. 
you can have it with you almost always. And it's immediate. It's always available. It's legal. It's free. It offers a never-ending amount of new material. And so the flow of what's next never ends. It's, it's never like the money and gambling addiction because you run out of money. But the internet and technology never ends, and it's always available and free. Um, sometimes the side effects are harder to see as well. If you're using cocaine, you know you're going to crash and have some health issues um, or methamphetamine or other chemical drugs. With video games, it's like a slow, painful starvation more than it is even suffocating. Suffocating happens sooner, uh, but starvation can take weeks and months. Um, I. I think my students love that they can be anyone and be anything with no risk. There's no comparison going on with them and their peers, except for online, where if they put in enough time, they can be just as good as anyone or, or better. Um, I think it's attractive because they can practice without dire consequences and have unlimited redos. There's a massive return on investment um, with video game use or screen use because time is really the only cost, at least immediately. The long-term cost is friends and getting their actual needs met. Um, think about a video game and what it gives you. Huge reactions, massive explosions with a little bit of effort that's not even physical, so it doesn't require you to have any... Um, actual endurance or physical health, um, you get tons of congratulations and affirmations. I mean, who wouldn't want to be a really good gamer except for most people have learned that they actually get their needs met better in other ways. Um, accomplishment, though, in video games feels just as good as accomplishment in other places. The problem is there's no attachments or connections being formed that can match the real world. Um, so how do we deal with it? And when you deal with a process addiction, teaching them how to balance what they use it for and how they use it is really important. And so we've learned that technology is not the problem. Technology in all forms is there to connect us and to help us in our world, to make our lives better, more meaningful, as long as it isn't used to avoid or isolate. Everybody needs a break. Uh, one of my favorite comics or memes that I saw was someone sitting in front of a, a TV saying, I'll just watch one or two episodes on Netflix. And then the next screen says, and it's morning and the sun is coming up from behind them. And so... I think we've all we all understand how good it feels sometimes to just let go and quit having to work or try or think. And I think we all need breaks. The problem is when it when it starts to interfere, obviously, in in healthy functioning in life. So in the beginning, there often does need to be some tangible, structured, limited, limited access and it's necessary to give the brain a break so that it can let go of the obsessive compulsive behavior. And I'll say right now, I don't believe that most students who come to us where the parents or therapists have said, yeah, they're, they're video game addicts. I actually don't think that that's true. I, I find that most of them by far, as soon as they have a better alternative, 
walk away from it. Most of them realize I'd rather be with friends or on a date or on a team or in a club where there's actual socializing. But there has to be a huge 180 turn from what most of them think and feel and have experienced from their really crappy teenage years. I don't belong. I don't want relationships. I don't need people. And they've convinced themselves that those things aren't worth it. So they go online. So it does take some time to turn that ship around. You know, no big, no big ship turns on a dime. It takes several miles of turning out at sea to get them turned 180 degrees. Often, though, there has to be a break to get the brain off of the the pull and the immediate check your phone, check your phone, check your phone. And I think we've all experienced that. So I, I don't judge any of them because I get how much it means to them and actually how it's meeting a lot of their needs, just not as well as other things could. But I understand how they got there. So there's no judgment. There's no anger. There's no frustration. Uh, there was a time when I wanted to take a hammer to a video game um, in a situation where I cared about the person and they were throwing their life away on their video game. And that was the old me. That was the immature me. Now I just realize these are hurting, hungry, empty human beings that need. And my job is to give them um, nourishment, not empty calories. Um, so the first thing is you might need a break. They might need to to actually have it taken away for a while because if they don't come up for air long enough, they'll go right back down to where they were before. But along with that, and even before you take the break, which feels punitive and angry and um, and about the technology instead of about let's get you what you need is you prepare and front load with, buddy, I don't care about video games. I, I bought you the gaming system. I love that you're good with computers. I want you to be social on social media. What I what I think is important is that you actually get your needs met in a more attractive, healthy way. And we're going to help you do that. You're going to have to trust us. You might not like what we do. And if you do have any any power over the situation, you you can actually ground or take away or limit access. With adults, it's harder. Um, in our program, we have created our apartments to have no Wi-Fi, no video games, no computers, no screens, except for their smartphones. But though, but those are only if they can handle them. And if they can't handle them and they stay up on them all night and binge watch or binge whatever, and they can't make it to their scheduled responsibilities in the morning, then we actually have them on our phone system and we just turn them off for a day. But if they call us and say, hey, I'm running late, just so you know, I'll be there in five or 10 minutes. We, we don't ever punish them. We're not looking for them to be there on the minute. That's never good for the relationship of influence that we want to have. But if they're trying to be adult and responsible and they, they make a slip, that's different. But if they oversleep and we've talked to them and they did it again, then we just turn off their phone for the day so that they can make it on time the next morning. And then we turn it right back on and they know that's coming. It's not out of anger. We tell them, look, I hate turning off your phone. We we want you to have your phones. That's how we get a hold of you. It's how you connect with people. I want you to have your phone. It's an awesome phone. I love the memes that you share. I, I love being able to text back and forth when I think you've done a great job and compliment you. When your phone's not there, I can't get a hold of you, so it sucks. So I, I align myself with them instead of stand across and be dictatorial. Um, 
And then we have to front load on how are we going to fill your cup in ways that are sustainable? And even harder might be, how are we going to convince them that it's worth it? So this takes time and it's really hard to figure out how to help them have friends when they've never had them. They're not good at it. And that's why a culture or a tribe that they can belong to is really important if you can find it. Um, That's a whole nother episode, obviously. But while they're trying to get off of the way they've been meeting their needs through screen use or other chemicals, you're going to have to fill their cup with something else. But even for the first weeks and maybe even months, they're going to still want to go back to the familiar, comfortable place instead of being out of their comfort zone. So you actually have to go and give them the things that the video games are giving them. For example, affirmation, relief from a hard life, relief from stress, rejection. Um, It's important to give them evidences that they're enough so that they don't rely on the easy go-to places of technology. It's, It's important to set up experiences that build resilience, doing hard things. How do you get them motivated to do that is a very individualized thing. I don't like punishing them or forcing them with a whip. I don't mind bribing them. We had one student we bribed um, to give up his chewing tobacco um, because we thought that was healthy and good for him. Um, If we approach technology like a process addiction or food addiction, it's, it's necessary to learn to use it without having to go completely sober. And so balance has to be there. And even if they have their video games gone for a week, when it does come back, we actually sit down and have mentors or us. We sit with them and video game with them to build a relationship. And we watch them for hours and spend time with them and really revel in what they're doing because it's about the only positive evidence they might have that they're enough. And so we give them the affirmation. We connect with them doing a a thing that we may not be interested in and, and we may not even play, but even just watching, watch their eyes light up. If you just sit there and take interest instead of loathe the thing that is causing them to be isolated. And that's a huge shift and it takes a lot of maturity and responsibility as as influencers to be able to do that. But once the relationship of influence is created, you can guide them away from the thing that has been failing for the most part in actually meeting their needs and help them get into things that do meet their needs, which is pretty cool. Get them into social things, get them into real relationships in the real world. Not that online relationships aren't real. I shouldn't have said that. The reality is they are real. And they're not the same as what you and I grew up with for the most part, but they mean a lot to these students. And many of them think online sex is the same as regular sex. That's crazy to me. And I think if they ever do get to have real sex, they'll realize, oh, well, yeah, that was silly. I I can't believe I thought (laughs) it was the same thing uh, because it's not even close. But they do care about the people that are online because they are safe and familiar and they're attached. Um, I think it's easy to get caught up in the, the screens are bad and, and that technology is horrible. So remember that technology is there to connect and it's not the bad guy. It's the isolating or the avoiding that's the problem. 
So I want to switch gears to chemical addictions. The, the far majority of those who we work with that have a chemical addiction, like smoking pot or cigarettes or other things like alcohol, those students become chemically dependent on the thing that they're using. But the majority of those students, once they find a way to get their social emotional needs met away from the drug use, let the drugs go. Most of them say, I didn't. I didn't like how it tasted. I didn't like how it made me feel. I felt like I was out of control. A lot of them will try drugs to belong and just say, yeah, I don't have a moral problem using drugs. Everyone's doing it, but I didn't like it. And so there's, there's somewhat of a natural barrier for many of, of the neurodiverse brains. But then there's always those that get addicted because they want to belong. And having them learn to belong in other ways is often what they need to walk away from their chemical addiction. But even then, the 12-step groups are helpful. Even then, they're going to go with, through withdrawals and be tempted to go back to it. Um, I think there's a lot, of, a lot of young adults who are neurodiverse who are willing to take more risks than a typical young adult would, and especially with teenagers. And they're also highly susceptible to be influenced. Um, our students are targeted by those who have causes. And I've seen really strong far-end political movements grab our students and take them to extremes in both directions. And it happens a lot. It's a very common scenario. And so with drug use or other things that a student might think, this is going to make me happy, this is going to make me belong, there's a really really attractive reason to do something that they know their parents have asked them not to. Um, but at the same time, their executive functioning, their reasoning, their long-term perspectives, their wisdom is all uh, most of the time um, hurt or short or left wanting from the typical mind. So when it comes to addictions, getting over the addictions is similar to anyone getting over the addiction, but the reasoning is often more social-emotional than it is I'm addicted to a substance or a behavior. Um, one, one student who came to us who, who really was addicted, and I think he might be the only student I've ever worked with that was actually addicted to video gaming. Once he could only video game with himself and no one else online, he even didn't want to do it after a while. And so... That took a few years, and we had to send his, his laptop home to his family three times, I think, for a month or two. And then when he was doing well, we would bring it back and start over again because he needed to practice how to be around screens. Addictions affect everybody. Neurodiverse minds aren't um, exempt from that. Their reasons and their vulnerabilities are special and unique. And... The responses are similar, but can also require a special approach, especially understanding, is this addiction or is this just obsessive compulsive behavior because they don't have anything better? And that's, that's in my experience, the case most of the time. Um, thanks for joining me. I hope this was helpful and interesting, and I'm sure we're going to go into more depth in the future about why video gaming is so addictive and about intermittent rewards and how video game companies um, suck us in. So we have some other podcasts planned and we look forward to 
sharing those things with you then. Thanks and have a great day. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Autism and Neurodiversity with Jason and Debbie. If you want to learn more about our work, come visit us at jasondebbie.com. That's J-A-S-O-N-D-E-B-B-I-E.com. 